Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How are you doing this evening? It's raining. Yay! It's raining. It's raining. Yesterday, I was out with the kids, and I said, I'm going to walk out to this place in the woods 
where there's a whole series of springs, maybe 20 springs, one right after another. And I just want to see, because, you know, in this horrible drought, and uh, just want to see, you know, what's going on out there at this place that I know that's always wet. Well, it wasn't wet, but it wasn't dry. It was slightly moist underfoot. Mm. And on my way there, I will admit to feeling kind of despondent. You know, the ferns drying up and they're all brown and there's no mushrooms anywhere. And the tree leaves aren't like turning colors like the fall. They're just like dying and falling off the trees. And I was really, I know, it's sad. I was just really like, you know, that kind of, what, you know, what can I possibly do in the face of no water is coming down on us and we need for it to, and people's wells are running dry and the reservoirs are running dry and wow. And right in front of me on the moss was a small owl feather. Oh, and it just stopped me in my tracks, and I hunkered down, and I just looked at it, and looked at it, and I thought, is this a snowy owl? It wasn't really tiny. It was maybe the size of my hand, but a smallish feather. And it was mostly white, but it had like brownish or grayish bars going across it. And I just, you know, I just like... allowed myself to take in that owl feather and to know that the earth has seen it all before. And in some ways it's just a detail. And I felt so reassured. Mm. And I got up and I took two steps and there was a wing feather from the same owl. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, wow. I know. I was just goosebumps all over. Like, oh. Yes. And, you know, nothing else, no sign that there'd been any struggle or distress or he was a, you know, uh, uh, you know, something had gone on. It really looked like feathers that had been molted, that the, that the owl had sat there and preened those feathers off or sat in a tree up above there and preened the feathers off. Mm. And, of course, because we live in such a wonderful day and age and because I was able to really look at them and to sit there and look at these incredible things. When I got home, I was able to say, hey, Siri, show me owl feathers. Mm. 
and I was and I found a, a short little video about the difference between owl feathers and falcon feathers. Oh. And it told me that falcons fly very, very fast. That they can dive up to 200 miles an hour. And so it doesn't really matter how much noise a falcon makes. Because by the time you hear and see the falcon, you're dead. <laughs> that, was, that is so fast. They're so fast. And they hunt in broad daylight. So there's like... So their feathers are like very sharp-edged, and their wings are a little sharp. So when they fly, they go flap, 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 right? Mm-hmm. You know that sound? Mm-hmm. And the owl feathers, it's like the feathers have feathers on them. It's mm. all soft. It's all soft edges. Every every edge of every feather has more feathers. And oh, I wish I had those down fractally if I could look, you know, microscopic. And the owl's wings are a little bigger. And the owl isn't out there during the day and isn't going fast. The owl goes... And you never hear it. Hmm. Because all those little feathers in the feathers keep any noise that the flapping of the wings make down. Mm. So, you know, I believe that we all live charmed lives. And it's up to us to kind of get the charm. It's like the charm's a riddle sometimes. Yes, I so go feel that. Yes. Yes. Fun. It's like the universe like nature was conversing with you, like first one feather, then the other, because you you were in the conversation and oh, it's so beautiful. It's a riddle, it's a conversation. It's it's so fun. It's so charmed and magical. <laughs> Yes, yes, and uh, I was glad to be relieved of my sadness about the plants and that it was going on. It's all going to go on. The plants are going on. I've been reading a book about the cultural history of vanilla, and it started out with a whole paragraph of statements about vanilla, almost all of which I knew to be completely untrue. Oh. Now, at the end of paragraph two, she said, and all those things I said in the first paragraph aren't true. So she admitted to it. Nonetheless, it kind of made me like, I don't know, just a little suspicious of anything else that she said. <laughs> Not in a, I don't trust you at all, right? But let me check this out. So when she said that the orchids are some of the oldest plants, I said, let me check this out. And, of course, was directed to websites with 
lists of the oldest, you know, the plants that has, uh, you know, were thriving when there were dinosaurs, the the real ancient ones. And I had thought that orchids were newer because often newer plant families have more species. But it turns out that my idea of how many species of orchids there are was overblown by what the orchid growers have been doing in the wild. There aren't that many species. But the growers, of course, have just done thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Mm. And why are we even talking about orchids? Because vanilla is an orchid. Vanilla beans are the fruit of the orchid. And it has to be hand-pollinated, and you have to learn how to marry the female and male part of the vanilla orchid so that it will make a bean. Whoa, no wonder it's so expensive. I had no idea. And like most tropical fruits, like chocolate, like coffee, the vanilla bean has to be air-dried, it has to be fermented, it has to go through a bunch of processes, which can take up to nine months before it's a vanilla bean. Wow. So the statements that she made, which I knew weren't true, was she said, imagine the wonderful scent of a field of vanilla orchids. She didn't say imagine. She, like, said something about it. And I thought, but vanilla orchids don't have a smell. They don't have a smell. Okay, they have a little scent, but not really much. She said, oh, you know, and then here we are, you know, carrying the beautiful brown vanilla beans in from the harvest. And I'm like, eh. They're green when they're harvested. They're not brown. When they're You're going to do a lot of stuff before they turn brown. <laughs> All right. And then, you know, something, something else, and it's like, you know, and the last one was, oh, and the wonderful smell of vanilla um, when Grandma is baking. Well, that one's true. Mm-hmm. Didn't we all want to go and taste the vanilla extract because it, smells so good. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> surprise. Oops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of those pesky alkaloids, coumarin. All the plants with that vanilla smell like melalotus. Mm. Our friend our friend melalotus, the pain reliever. Wow, and that is such a nice smell. It is. The smell of coumarin is a wonderful smell. What have you been up to? Oh, wow. Well, it feels like, you know, winter is just around the corner. Um, So we got a hay delivery, and that meant clearing out the barn of some stuff and doing all that 
kind of thing. And then today I cleared some chicken coops and um, been strategizing on planting seeds. I planted the sweet Sicily seeds um, because the instructions were that that should happen fast um, after freezing them. So the seeds that came with what you had sent. So those are in the ground. And um, yeah, yeah. Yep, and then um, another gift you had gotten me that I also ordered some things from, some comfrey roots. So I've been doing some planting um, and some clearing and some utilization of compost. So just having fun. The weather's changing a little bit here. It, it's actually been <sighs> rainy. I've been trying to send it your way because we don't really thank need you, much thank more. You. Yes, now that it's yeah. finally rained, I can go out and do something with all the plants I've been wanting to put in. Mm. Yeah, seeds I've been pocketing all summer. And time to take them out of my pocket and throw them down, stomp upon them. I I, I love that method because that's so similar to the methods that I employ. Um, and, yeah, I always think about you when I have the good fortune of planting the seeds and then it's, it starts a light mist of rain and just has that quality for the next, like, six or eight hours. Like, oh, this is such a lovely time to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's the beginning of the weekend extra, extra because, yeah, that happened when I planted the seeds. Oh, so I think oh wonderful. Well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our, our guest tonight is Laura Zaleda, Vesta, artist, author, storyteller, and educator. She and transformed. Oh, wait. Um, oh, wait. Is yes, that, no, you're mm-hmm. right. She can't come. Right. It's going to be Linda Conroy instead. Mm-hmm. With an extra bit of time for all that she has to share is what oh, I was told. Yes, she's gonna be talking about mycelium mysteries, the women's mushroom conference that is going on when? End of September? Beginning of October mm-hmm. sometime. It's yeah. Right. She'll tell us she'll tell us and right. She's gonna be here at a quarter of nine. So we have a little extra time with her. So we better start answering people's questions because we now have less than an hour to answer questions. All right. Yeah, so we have three hands that have already been raised. So you are up in the queue, and I'll let everyone else know that if you want to speak with Susan this evening, you'll need to press 1 so that we can see your hand go up and you will be lined up in the queue. From the 973, you are the first caller with a question. From the 973, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I called about this question, honestly, seven years ago, uh, and I am calling back. Uh, Long-time student of the Wise Women tradition, so I've been rotating through the Nourishing Herbal infusions, weighing out the plant material, similar with food choices and making tincture from fresh plant materials. And so that's the foundation of asking. Um, Although I'm in pretty good health, I have psoriasis under my fingernails. 
And when I called seven years ago, your recommendation was to do something with my hands. And I said, yes, I had actually learning to, that was the summer I learned to embroider. And I have made several significant embroidery creations. Um, but I am still, I still have all 10 fingers nails have psoriasis under the nail bed. And so to use the question that you've asked before, what's the problem with the problem? I don't know if there is one, but that's really what I was calling in, just mm. just asking for information. I do use some comfrey oil. Um, I use some oil made from fresh hypericum, uh, although I use my hands a lot during the day, cooking, sewing, writing postcards, and then doing a lot of computer work. Um, so I use the those herbal oils or ointments at night before I go to bed, but it's, it's it's a small part of my day. And so really just wondering out loud, are, is there a problem with this problem from your understanding of anatomy and physiology about psoriasis under the fingernails? Well, one of the things that I have found is that it's useful to have a diagnosis. Because the medical system, and especially insurance, runs <clears throat> by diagnosis. <clears throat> I was just told this morning that I have the wrong order for my lymphedema therapy because it says occupational therapy and it has to say physical therapy. So they get, you know, very exact and very exacting in their words. And it's useful for access to certain things. But if we take it on as a self-definition, then it's rare that we can use it to be abundantly well. So my question to you is, what is psoriasis? My limited understanding is that the cells reproduce too much or too quickly, but that's a question because I'm truly not sure. And when you say you have it under your fingernails, could you describe what happens, how you know yeah. it's there? So years and years ago, I actually had a question and got a couple of assessments to determine the distinction between was this fingernail fungus or was this psoriasis underneath my nail bed? Um, and based on a scraping that was done, it came back as psoriasis under the fingernail. And it looks, I used, I used to, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think, you know, my nails get very yellow and they, uh, if I let them grow at all, they kind of grow up. They, they definitely have an aesthetic look that is very different than how my fingernails used to be. Other than that, there's not, um, I'm not in pain. There's no, there's no narrative. Itching. I do keep my fingers. I'm sorry? There's no itching or discomfort. If I let them grow too long, if I do my, if I wash my dishes and I don't use gloves, so when, or even sometimes in the shower, when na when water gets under the bed of my nails, then it gets a little itchy. But again, I have the hypericum ointment 
to ameliorate that. I, you know, I think there's also part of a cosmetic. I used to enjoy growing my nails out, never too long, but just right. I don't wear nail polish, and I, I used to not wear nail oh, polish, and now I couldn't even imagine wearing nail polish. Something that I have found about Hypericum is that she's really capable of turning around chronic conditions, but to do that, she really demands your absolute fidelity while she's working. Mm. So what would that mean in this case? In this case, that would mean that you would need to take a period of time off from all of those other things you do, cooking and writing postcards and sewing and all of that, and have some hypericum oil that you soak your hands in. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't have to sit there for three days soaking your hands. You, know, you can soak them and then you can like dry them off and go for a walk. Right. And then come back okay. and soak them some more. But you're going to be doing two things. One, your hands are not going to be producing anything. And two... I just have this um, sense from you that the that the hypericum is already offering you relief, even though it's only used at, in the in the evening. I think That's you right. said, yeah. That's right. And and I'll just ask because you've mentioned the drought and I live in New Jersey, not too far away. My hypericum got very <clears throat> impacted um, by the lack of rain in our region. And um, I just, you know, didn't know if, I mean, at this point of the season, I probably, there, it, I wouldn't be harvesting her anyway. But just, just in thinking about the sustainability of the soil and the plant that comes back, is there anything you can just comment on in general about the medicinal plants if um, for those of us who have been in a, a region where there has um, been drought conditions this season? Is that something we should hold in mind for next year in any, in any capacity? I'm not really catching exactly what it is that you're asking, let me say in general that ecological harvesting has a lot to do with what part of the plant you're taking. So if you're taking dandelion leaves, it's unlikely that the drought is going to do anything other than make there be less dandelion leaves so you'll have to harvest less. But if you're harvesting perennial roots, those roots will have different constituents because of the drought. Well, not different constituents. The constituents will be in different proportions in response to the drought. And they, those roots might be 
more medicinal. Some of my teachers felt that the plants that made the most powerful medicine were the plants that were stressed. Mm. This is what got me into harvesting plants from the roadside, and I saw that the stress of growing beside the road certainly made really good medicine. They, mm. would choose a, they would choose a plant in the middle of a patch of poison ivy. They would choose like a, you know, a plant that was growing in a place that was a little too hot or a little too dry or a little too wet or some, you know, some edgy thing that the plant was doing and say, this is the one. You can see because it's it's learned how, you know, how to be well even when it, things aren't going its way. So my sense has always been from the things that I've heard about psoriasis and the people I've talked to with psoriasis the hypericum has a real easy way to get in there and change that. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Susan. I appreciate the the reminder and the vision of serenity medicine and letting my hands rest with the plant. Thank you. You are welcome. And with hypericum. Yes. And you can use the same oil. You can just have like a little dish that you put your fingernails or your hands in. You can use it over and over again. You don't have to throw it away. I don't think that psoriasis is like infective, right? No, no. It really is just a it's not um, not, additional cells. It's not it's not it's not an infection. It's not bacterial. Not an infection. You can reuse the oil, yeah. Great. That's a super tip. Thank you. All Green right. blessings. Green blessings. Thanks for your call. All right. And there are three callers with their hand raised. Uh, the next caller is dialed in from the 714 area code. From the 714, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Monica. Hi, Monica. Hi. Um, so I have a question for you, dearly. <laughs> I've been struggling. Right. Uh-huh. Can you hear me, or should I go off the speaker? Oh, let's yeah, try can you hear me and speak. Can you, and speak. Okay, how's that? Can you hear me oh, better? Oh, yeah, that's much better. Yes, let's okay. have Okay, uh, it's a very long story, but I'm going to try to be as short as possible. I'm about 55, 56, sorry. I had breast implants put in probably in 2005, 2013, the saline busted got new ones put in at the end of that year that were called gummy natural toxic bags, I call them. Anyways, going forward since then, I've had this, you know, pains everywhere, all kinds of stuff they could never pinpoint, till finally I've got them out last November, was still suffering, suffering, suffering on my whole left side, feels like there's a gurgling, a bubble in my, between my, my, breastbone and my hip bone I can't explain it I just recently went to a vein doctor they cleared pelvic venous congestion they found and a pinched aorta vein and put a stent in 
they believe, I don't know that I believe it's all from the disaster of the eruption of the second batch. <laughs> Anyways, do you have any insight on how <laughs> to clear this? Uh, Pretty tricky, huh? <laughs> it, it is quite, quite. I can't tell tricky. you how many emergency room visits I've been. I don't go to the doctor. I'm purely holistic, but I can't tell you how many times I've had to go. And, and I've they, gotten no help. They, they don't they have have any told particular... me I'm crazy. They told me just to take some pain medicine and take some um, depressants, and I'm good to go. So. I'm, on my own, I found the veins that were clogged and did that. So I've given up on and, medicine. And how did you clear that? <laughs> um, a, a vascular surgeon went in and literally angioplasted my entire, like, left lower pelvic side was just, like, like, wow. kind of, like clusters, like tons of clusters. Now, again, I well, have no of physical course, proof that it came from the implant and bursting. One possible treatment for women with fibroids is to put silicon in the blood vessels that serve the fibroid to stop the blood flow. So that is certainly something that silicon can do is to clog up blood vessels. I'm so glad you found that. Yes. No, I, I mean, I cannot tell you. You can. My friend here is with me, and I've tried everything, and they just, I know, you can feel your body. So it feels to me that I don't, like, almost when like you my... When you've tried everything, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. What, I mean, it, I, it, what it is you I've want. Gone to, I've gone to a kinesiologist to try to, you know, he thinks that my muscles had adhered to my, the bags that are now gone and that I'm just, you know, everything's clogged. I feel very clogged. Basically, you know what I mean? And I've got the veins lower half. I just have So let me ask you this. Do you do... Mm-hmm. Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga? I know, but I need to, but I'll t- I couldn't for a while. I was suffering. It was just horrendous. It was kind of a weird, it just wasn't, nothing One was working. One of the nice things about Qigong, down. you do it even while you're suffering. Okay, I will. I want you to find some free online Qigong. There's tons of Qigong out there. And okay. do commit yourself to a five-minute practice. Okay. Just start there. <laughs> okay. Finding the inner. What? Yes. Okay. Because. Yes. <sighs> what you want is flexibility. Yes. What you want yes, is. Yes, I want to be able to move again. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to move. Well, the way you do that is you start moving. Okay. Gotcha. In a way, it's, you know, we think, oh, well, I'm in pain. I'll just lay down until the pain wears off. But the fact of the matter is the very best thing to do is to get up and move. And get it out of here. It will take your mind off the pain, and there can be no healing unless there is blood flow and flow of lymphatic fluids, and that is not going to happen unless you're moving. Exactly. I hear you. So we have to, you know, be for ourselves 
that fierce person who says, no excuses, you're going to do five minutes of Qigong today. And I don't want to hear any excuses about it. We're just going to do it, even if we do it poorly. <laughs> yep, I am with you. I will. I will. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, if you if you want to, you know, say that you're not doing it good enough, you can say that you're not doing it good enough, but you're going to do it anyhow. Exactly. And the reason I like the Qigong is because it is very simple and simple enough that should you decide at any point that you want to do any Qigong exercise just in the middle of the day by yourself, you could. Right. Right. It's not like a Tai Chi form which you have to learn or you have okay. to unroll your yoga mat. <laughs> right? You you had even two minutes when I was recovering in the hospital and where could I walk? All I could do was, you know, drag my IV pole with me down the hall, but I could do Chico. Okay. And I can. If you can, I can. Of course. <laughs> we all can. That. What about... Part of, How part about of the, the beauty March? of it, and then you tap into something very special, which there's not a lot of on this planet. You tap mm-hmm. into an entire community of people who are using these movements with the intention of being abundantly well. I have one more little tiny bit of it. In the abdomen, the fluid, anything other than just movement to get that moving? Movement is probably the best thing. Now, let me just check in with you. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Um, I drink water and, you know, good. I drink, I'm pretty healthy. A lot of green juices, a lot of, I drink smoothies every day, salad. Mm-hmm. I don't... As far as I'm concerned, those are the worst possible things to do, and they're exacerbating your condition enormously. Oh, okay. Well, what can I do? I suggest that people drink no water at all. Okay. Just infused water. Instead, what I'd like you to do is to drink nourishing herbal infusion. I drink no water. I have recommended to thousands of people that they stop drinking water. Every single one of them has told me that their health has vastly improved. Hmm. I agree. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I do drink a lot of tea, trust me. <laughs> I don't drink soda. You're probably I don't drink drinking if it's water, much fluid. Coffee. Far, far too much fluid, fluid. which is okay. depleting your minerals and making it almost impossible for your body to function correctly. Okay. That could truly be. All right. So what kind of tea do you you drink? Oh, gosh. I have probiotic lemon tea. I have cinnamon tea. I probably have 30 different teas. (laughs) Okay. Well, for now, you just look at them. You're not going to drink any of those teas. Okay. Instead, you're going to find a place that sells herbs, and you're going to buy an ounce of stinging nettle, and an ounce of oat straw, and an ounce of red clover. Red clover? 
red clover, and an ounce of comfrey leaf. Okay. And half an ounce of linden. Or you could buy two half ounces if you want. Linden. And you can use these herbs one at a time by putting the herb that you got in a quart jar. So you bought one ounce of nettle. You're going to put that one ounce in a quart jar. And then you're going to fill that jar to the top of the boiling water. And you're going to put a lid on it. And you're going to let it sit at least four hours. I usually do it lasting at night and it's ready in the morning okay okay and that's a nourishing herbal infusion you then strain the plant material out of the liquid squeezing the plant material to get all the liquid out of it and then refrigerate liquid the nourishing herbal infusion which you will drink throughout the day unless you live in a place that is extraordinarily hot or dry, or you do different work than most modern humans, a quart to a quart and a half of fluid a day is more than enough. So you drink that quart of infusion. You want to have a cup of coffee when you wake up in the morning. Have a cup of coffee. You want to have a cup of some kind of tea at some point in the day, be my guest, you want to have some hot chocolate, great. I prefer okay. if you have green tea or black tea, most okay. of the teas that you mentioned contain artificial flavors. Yes. Maybe. And those are going to basically prevent your body from dealing with the silicon. Okay. I Which is why you. you're just going to look at those teas. And if you just, you know, just a regular, you know, green tea bag or black tea, if you want a cup of tea, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Got it. How about on and then, fruit? And, and then, and then that night, do the next one, right? So you'll take your ounce of oat straw, put it in a quart jar, boil water, fill the jar up to the top, put the lid on it, let it sit overnight. The next morning, you'll strain it out, refrigerate it. That's what you're going to drink that day. But, and again, if you, I don't want you to be feeling like you're hurting yourself or you're really thirsty, but what most people find when they stop drinking water is they don't feel anywhere near as thirsty. Gotcha. And especially because the nourishing herbal infusion is very (laughs) mineral rich. You start mineralizing your bones and your immune system and your hormonal system and your nervous system, amazing things start to happen. All right, so nourishing herbal infusions. Do you notice that with nourishing herbal infusions, we're using dried herbs? I this breaks, My friend Alisa here is going to, she makes them all the time. So good hands. So that the actual nutrients in the plant can get to you. When you make a green drink, you're getting nothing. Right. As I have a green juice right there. Like, <laughs> green juice is absurd. Stop now. <laughs> Not only that, it is, green juices are lethal. And I mean that literally. I don't know Ooh, if I'm you remember, gassy. there was some contamination in E. coli, contamination of spinach. And the first person to die was a little boy whose mom made him a green drink with that spinach. 
If there are any foodborne bacteria on the greens, they're going to be magnified by 10,000 times within the first 30 seconds. Whereas the nourishing herbal infusions are made with dried herb and boiling water, so you are safe from pathogens. Someone who's dealing with silicosis really shouldn't be messing around this way. Right. Right. Well, I not, thank you. You're not eating really. a healthy diet. Starving yourself to death. You're 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 harming yourself. It's like you're punishing yourself for getting breast implants. It was well, up. It's okay, you made a mistake. You thought that if you had big tits, that everything else you wanted would happen. <laughs> it Did was it? filling in the childbirth. <laughs> Did it? No, it killed me almost. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. It, let it kill you. You don't have to punish yourself. It's okay. okay. We're all allowed to make mistakes. And now I want you to drink nourishing herbal infusions, no more teas, no more water, no more green drinks. Tell me about your smoothies. Yeah, no. Oh, those are just fruit and yogurt. I just do fruit fruit and yogurt in the morning. Huh? Frozen fruit? Yes. Okay. Is that okay? Frozen fruit and yogurt. Right. As long as it's frozen, frozen you're getting some nutrition from it. I would no, I say, however, that I'd like you to move protein up into the earlier part of your day and fruit into the latter part of your day. If you could keep yourself from eating anything sweet or any fruit until after the sun goes down, you will see a really big difference in your blood sugar. Okay, okay. So protein. Yeah, and I need to eat more protein. I do know that because I don't eat meat. Why not? Okay. Why I don't you eat slow? Huh? Hi. Is some reason that you do not wish to accept the gifts of the animals? No, I just have never really... I, I, eat, I eat it. I eat, I eat huh? it all. I just don't crave well, it. Think about this. <laughs> you know, small farms, especially organic farms, need animal manure in order to grow things organically. And they can't keep all of those animals. So when you buy organic animals, you're actually supporting the growing of organic vegetables. It's true. Well, you're, supporting people, you're supporting people who love animals. <laughs> it, it, it's called integrative farming, right? The plants yes. don't grow just by themselves. They need that animal manure as a fertilizer. The circle of life. It's the whole <laughs> circle. You don't have to be an ugly American. It doesn't have to be bacon for breakfast, bologna for lunch, and a pork chop for dinner. Oh, no, you know, bacon you, is my one. You buy okay. a chicken That's once every two weeks. <laughs> right? You buy a chicken once every two weeks and, you know, something else in between. That's uh, that's yes. sufficient meat for you. Eat more fish. Yes. Eat a lot more no, I fish. No, do. I do. Buy, I buy a chicken and shred it in my salad and right. do that. I try to keep going. Yes. I right. try. Right. No, my dad I, is 102. I hear you. Of course, the salad is... Again, raw food. You're not getting mm-hmm. any nutrition when you're eating raw food. Okay. Right. Gotcha. I'd rather see the 
the chicken in a stir fry with some brown rice and some actual cooked vegetables. And cooked vegetables means cooked for an hour. Okay. My mom would love you. <laughs> she couldn't afford to throw out nutrition. She, my mom, yeah, no, I totally told you. My mom and dad, they, my mom made everything fresh. She was just that person. Dad lived till he was 102, so she did something right. <laughs> Fabulous. And you don't have to necessarily get it fresh, you know. You can buy frozen vegetables. Those are fine. No, I did. I have I have the last two days I've had frozen vegetables. It's got bad too. Right. Rice and veggies so, is all it's been. Veggies, so right. And, you know, more whole grains there. The whole grains, the beans and the whole grains act like sponges to draw things out of the body that aren't needed. Okay. That's what I need to do. I need to get whatever's blocking out. Right. So more beans, more rice, more quinoa, more more of that kind of kind of what you might even think of as roughage, even oatmeal if you like oatmeal. Yeah, oh, I eat oatmeal every day, even in this heat. I do. I love it. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. do that. Good. I do a little quinoa. Put I do in, like beans on my thing. And put some seaweed in with your oatmeal. Ooh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't remember you don't want it sweet. You want it savory, and the That's seaweed true. is the great absorber. Seaweed absorbs everything from excess hormones to radioactivity mm-hmm. to heavy metals. Okay. Seaweed. Might have to bite the bullet and try it. Give it a try. I will. Okay, right. well, I won't keep you, but thank you dearly. I'm gonna t- I have everything written down, and I'm already having some infusion. What am I drinking? Linden, yeah. right now. She Perfect. brought it out. All right. I know. Thank you dearly, and I can't wait to listen to you every time. Green blessings. Good night. Thanks. Bye. Oh, I don't want to hang up, though. I'll just mute. Okay. Um, and our next caller, we have two callers that have pressed once, raised their hands. The next caller's dialed in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Good evening, Susan. This is Kevin in New Orleans. Hi, Kevin. I had a question about elderberry tincture and using fresh berries versus letting them dry if I'm harvesting them myself. I just want to know what what's your what's your recommendation? Should I just put them fresh into the hundred-proof vodka or let them dry a little bit? My preference when I have the fresh plant material is always to use it at the peak of its freshness. As soon as I harvest it, I tincture it. To me, there isn't any advantage to um, drying them. And do I crush them? I generally don't partly because the process that I'm um, using, which is making a tincture, um, isn't going to be much changed by crushing them. That said, because I live in an area where the birds eat virtually every ripe elderberry, I usually 
make my tincture with dried elderberries because I don't have access to the fresh ones. But I'm glad that you do. And the other thing to remember is there isn't any right way to do it. And if you have sufficient elderberries and several smallish containers, you can create a little science experiment. Harvest some elderberries, tincture a certain amount of them, let the remaining amount dry after a certain amount of time decided on by you, tincture some of those and continue to let the remaining part of them dry and after a length of time decided upon by you make a tincture of those and compare the three tinctures. I love it. I love it. One what about the, infusion? One of the apprentices that was working with Leonurus Cardiaca noticed that there was a long time of flowering and that it started from like a small cluster of flowers which kind of went up and up and up and up and so she decided she was going to make a tincture of the flowering part of the motherwort every week and that she would go to a different plant so that it would be, you know, as though it had just had that week's growth. And she wound up with, I think, six or seven different tinctures. And she was able to see some fine differences between them, especially in terms of um, how much effect they had on the heart versus how much effect they had on the uterus. I love it. Wow. And then you were asking about? Um, fresh elderberries as a nourishing infusion. So when we're making infusions, we're always using dried plants. Where the last time I had access to fresh elderberries, which was last year, I made elderberry fizz. I took the fresh elderberries and I mixed them with water and sugar. And I kept stirring them. And they fizzed up very, very nicely. They got very foamy and fizzy. I decanted it, and then the leftover berries I just cooked into syrup. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you for those recipes and ideas. And ask Elder, too. I'm sure she'll have some ideas for you. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much for that. All right. <laughs> Great blessings. Thanks for your questions. Good night. Great blessings. Good night. All right, and there are two callers with their hands raised. The next caller is dialed in from the 212 area club. From the 212, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. It's Lauren Grader, shall I say? 
<laughs> Lauren Grader, yay! <laughs> <laughs> How are you tonight? Fine. <laughs> Mosey as ever, but just fine. Absolutely fine. I went walking this morning. Um, it was beginning to get light. The flowers were opening, and I felt my lungs and all my chest and everything clearing as I, I breathed in the air, and I was so happy that going outside was a healthy thing for me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I think you may remember that I said that, yes, when I moved here, it was raining inside the apartment when the wind and the rain was just right, and they fixed it, but, uh, oops, since I called, it's sprung a leak again, and I've been rather glad it's oh. something of a dryer. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I know. I wasn't prepared because oh. I was used to it being repaired. Um, and I thought about. I honestly don't even know what I'm, what I'm asking. I'm not sure what the problem with the problem is. It would be nice not to have it, I suppose. But since I've sort of engaged with the fear and thinking about the connection or wondering about the connection, I've been doing a lot of work on on shifting and alignment and kind of back to all the themes that brought me to apprentice with you on a you know for the sixties, you know, again. <laughs> and um I realized that I got a little allergic about a year into living here and moved just before COVID and, and then the, 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 the moldy kind of the the phlegmy throat closing fear thing started um last year. And it paralleled my being inside more. I started being out, out, out all the time initially, and then I got scared, and now I'm getting unscared, and I don't know what it connects with, and I don't know. I mean, the slippery elm, of course, helps everything, and I found out I'm not crazy about marshmallow infusion. Um, Is tincture any good at all? Um... I'm um, not as scared when I'm scared, you know? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. Still, I know just what you mean. Still happening. I, I listened to a couple of talks from oh, functional medicine doctors on mast cell activation, and I thought, boy, am I glad I learned from you because they really are fear mongers. So I don't know what's going on. I'm not interested in taking a whole bunch of tests. I think that... Uh, maybe the key is to keep going with the openings that I'm doing on all different kinds of levels. And I'm uh, unpacking my stash of books and going through my past and deciding what I want to go forward with and thanking where I've been and found an herbal that I bought like way before I met you in the 70s. Something about drying, uh, dyeing with herbs is sort of cool to see that those things were part of me when I didn't even remember they were and um, of course it's picking up a lot of dust but it's like a journey it's not you know it's not just cleaning up and decluttering (laughs) it's It's really yes yes a big turning of the spiral yes yes so what is a leak what is a what? What is a leak? A leak? Oh, oh, well, 
Um, uh, you mean when it rains in the apartment? No, I mean symbolically. What is a leak? Uh, huh. Something draining off? Something letting go? An unclear boundary? Ah. You know, it's interesting because I really thought a lot about boundaries lately. Like, a lot about boundaries lately. Like, the kind of boundaries, not just that you can say yes and you can say no and you can put up, um, you know, with, with what comes on from outside, but with what comes on from inside. Because I've really been struggling with not moving forward when I want to and not having the inner boundary developed to say, no, 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 you need to do that. And in the last week or two, I've been able to begin to do that. And I, I can't even believe that I've begun to do that. It's like, so it's like the biggest fucking deal. <laughs> it is. It is. It really is. Yes. But I never really, really uh, had the opportunity to, to install that. And so I'm like, okay, all right, okay. I'm not like bashing myself for not knowing it before, which is very new. Yay. So there was a leak. Mm. There was a boundary issue. The leak was fixed. Oh, you mean the apartment? A boundary was established. Yeah. But the leak reasserted itself in the same place? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And is the leak hurting things? Well, I moved the bed out of the way really quickly. And it just... Uh-huh. <laughs> I like to hang out as close to the window as I can get as much of the time as I can. So I did need to move the furniture, and I did put plastic and towels down on the floor. And it didn't damage anything. I mean, everything dried. I mean except what's probably in the floor. And it doesn't leak every time it rains. It has to be windy and rainy. It has to, the wind has to come at my window, and it has to rain with some enthusiasm. Right. (laughs) 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 Mm, Great. Mm. So... The leak pushes you back a little bit from your chosen point of observation. Yeah, it does. Yes. I didn't know yes. if you heard me talking about the owl feathers, but oh. for me that was part of the message of the owl feathers was be aware of the detail, but also be willing to glide over it. You mean in terms of... Uh, Getting the bigger picture. You're being yeah. forced to get back and get a bigger picture. Mm. Yeah. You, what was your response? Move back, move your bed, move your chair. Yep.
change your perspective. Mm. Lean into the spiral. certain leaks in buildings that are just sometimes almost impossible to fix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the actual um, inception of where the water comes into the roof can be very far away from where it's actually leaking. Oh, yeah. I Yes, I, I've had that experience in another apartment. Not quite as picturesque as it is here. But, yeah. Uh, oh, well, it was, but it was just in the bathroom. Um, and, let's see, metaphorically, a lot of the things I'm trying to shift from, you know, there's a pretty well-worn path doing it another way. So I'm working with trying different things and seeing what I can do to install them. <laughs> Delete. Thank you for letting me bring my picture to your refrigerator. You are welcome. Thank you for holding this. Thank you for letting me tell you. Mm. Mm. Any suggestions for going deeper or just the warmth of your love and my love for you? Just. <laughs> That's everything. <laughs> it. it was exciting to hear going outside. It was good for you. Oh, I just, it, oh, mm, it was exciting to feel. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. walking a lot in the summer when, before the sun comes up or just before the sun comes up. So I was a little later this morning because I was um, bringing some books to a communal area so they can live with people who want them. <laughs> nice. And so it was a little later and it was a little lighter and I saw... The, the, the sunflowers turning everything was like oh everything was opening there's a lot mm. more stuff going on here than last year it's been very bare since sandy and last year only goldenrod and this year there were some wild roses and there's some sunflowers and there's some little tiny patch of joni but it was she was a little burnt over when i saw her so but no. she's there she's there <laughs> ah, well, I'm going to say green blessings and good night and give myself a few minutes for I think there's one more caller for Helium Mysteries. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. I love you so much. I love you, Laura. Mwah. Good night. Nighty night. Green blessings. Thank you. You too. And there is one more caller, and that caller has dialed in from the 714. From the 714, you are live with Susan. Uh, hold on. You you could do that. I'm going to listen. The rocks are over there. Hello. Hi. Hello in the 714, you are live. 
Do you have a question this evening? Maybe oh, she pushed can... mute. She meant to push unmute. All right. Yeah. Um, got one more opportunity to say hello and ask your question from the 714. Yeah. I feel like I can hear something there, but no voices, just noises. So let's go. We have another hand that has come up from the 215. So from the 215, uh, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm just checking in on a new issue. Um, Two days ago, I was in a a toolbox and I was shuffling it around and um, the claw part of a hammer um, went into the top of my thumb on a vein. And it's, it, it's a small wound, um, and it looks like it's healing nicely. But at the time, I wasn't sure how to correctly treat it. I, I have comfrey oil, and I have plantain oil, and in the past, I've used it for bruises and closed wounds. And I think I heard um, conversations in the past about, you know, if you apply comfrey to open wounds, especially if it's not properly irrigated and cleaned, it can cause all sorts of problems. So I just wanted to get a better sense in the future um, about how to handle open wounds verbally. One of the go-to herbs is soldier's wound wart. Achillea millifolium, also known as yarrow. Yarrow is a broad-spectrum antiseptic. It stops pain in the wound, it stops bleeding, and it hastens healing. At the Comfrey Conference, one of the presenters, Barbara Volk, presented some very graphic um pictures and videos of enormous wounds. Um, One which was a gaping tear in a horse's skin that she could actually put her arm into up to the elbow. Wow. And and she used Comfrey to help heal all of those after she used Yarrow. Now, I have Yarrow tincture, but I don't have Yarrow oil. Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Do you have a yarrow plant? I don't. I have a comfrey plant. I don't have a yarrow plant, but the only thing yarrow that I have is tincture. I use yarrow tincture all the time to disinfect wounds. Oh. Okay, so you can use yarrow, and then when the wounds are closed, you can use the comfrey oil. She didn't wait for clothes. She just it immediately. Okay. Do you think you would be able to tell if the wound was closing up and there was infection underneath? I think you would be. I would think it would get hot. And we hot certainly and couldn't find and... anybody that we couldn't find anybody that that had happened to. 
Mm-hmm. And these were very severe and deep wounds that Barbara was dealing with on a variety of animals. And in no instances did Comfrey cause a abscess to form. That's what you're worried about, right? Yeah. And again, as I said, if there was an abscess, you would feel it, yes? Yeah. So it's not like it would go unnoticed. Again, it's it's not normal. It's not what people said, oh, yeah, I used Comfrey and this, and I got abs- an abscess, and we couldn't find anybody who said that. We found plenty of places that said, oh, don't use it this way. We couldn't find anybody who could back that up with evidence. I got intimidated. In the other use cases, I had listened, like, to your shows and understood, you know, what to do up front with bruising and things like that and then this mm-hmm. was a new situation and I thought well what I if I have and so the yarrow first then yarrow first mm-hmm. and then fresh comfrey leaf chewed up would be perfect okay okay and the fact that so I had had a tetanus shot three years prior you know I didn't think that like a hammer is very clean. Um, so I just got intimidated and nervous in terms Tetanus of like... Tetanus is right a soil-borne bacteria. Okay. Unless the claw of the hammer was being used to dig, it's unlikely to be having tetanus on it. You're much more mm-hmm. likely to get tetanus actually from having a hag nail and digging barehanded in the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, so I don't think that that's you know like that the hammer is a. I doubt that it was a really deep wound either. No. And nope. again, generally the kinds of things you're thinking about, it needs to be a deep wound for those things to happen. Okay. A deep wound or some or some extensive wound. Mhm. Okay. Great. So well, I, you know, you I, I think you do. I think you're doing great. And um, hooray for your yarrow tincture. It's wonderful uh, to put on wounds, and especially if you've done it in vodka, it's not going to sting. Great. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. And do you have an introduction for Linda Conroy, Sarah Ellen? Or shall we wing it? Oh, you do? Good. All right. Yes. Would you like me to read it? Please. All right. Linda Conroy dedicates her life to connecting with the green world. Linda is a practicing herbalist, providing herbal education, workshops, and apprenticeships, as well as individual consultations uh, and her herb store. Linda also holds two master's degrees, a master's of social science and a Master's of Law and Social Policy. Linda is a community organizer and the founder of the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Her primary mentors are the plants, who never cease to instill a sense of awe in her daily life. Linda's primary human mentors are Isla Burgess, Susan Weed, and Marshall Rosenberg. Linda has also studied with Teriana Lodog, Dr. Teriana Lodog, MD, Stephen Buhner, Cascade Geller-Anderson, Ryan Drum, 
Eagle Song, and Sally King of Raven, Ravencroft Gardens, Matthew Wood, Suzanne Tabert, and many others. Linda has studied as well as studies women's mysteries with Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Z Budapest, Vicki Noble, Starhawk, Jean Houston, and other of our inspiring foremothers. And with that, we welcome Linda Conroy. Linda, welcome. I'm so glad we get to talk tonight. I'm super glad, too. Hi, Susan, and hello, Sarah. Hi, hi. Mycelium Mysteries. Tell us more. It's coming up, our sixth annual Mycelium Mysteries Women's Mushroom Conference. Super excited about the conference, and it's a conference that we started. It grew out of the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, which next year will be in its 12th year. And we were we did a fall event one year. You know, we, these conferences are very um, mycelial in nature, and they are creative. And we kept inviting Rosemary Gladstar to spend time with us, and she could never come in the spring. So we said, well, how about if we do a fall event with you? And we did. And when we were in the woods at the camp where we hold our event, there were mushrooms everywhere in the woods in the fall. And uh-huh. they were just, you couldn't take one step without stepping on a mushroom. <laughs> and so I got the idea that we need a mushroom conference for women. And so we started Mycelium Mysteries the very next year, and it's been magical ever since. And it's, um, we just were at the camp getting ready, organizing some things, and sure enough, there were mushrooms everywhere you stepped. <laughs> so, oh, I'm and, so, so glad to hear that. I don't know if you heard, we've been in the middle of a horrible drought, and there's not a mushroom to be seen anywhere. But we did just yeah. have some rain this evening, so maybe we'll see a few now. And it's interesting because where we hold the um, event is a couple hours north of where I actually live. And so they've had more moisture than I have where I live. So that's, I'm more in the similar boat that you are. And we had rain about two or three days ago. And all of a sudden I have all these mushrooms in my, on my property too. So mm-hmm. that's what <laughs> They're just waiting for the right, you know, environment, for the right conditions um, to um, unfold. And I was so happy because I went out this morning and my shiitake mushroom logs are all fruiting. So I was very happy about that. Yay! It's been such an interesting um, adventure to have put on an herbal conference for a lot of years and then switch gears and focus on mushrooms because they have a very different energy and the events are are very, you know, there's some overlap, but they also have some differences as well. And the collaborative uh, nature of the mushroom conference is strikingly unique. And I very much enjoy the instructors come with all these ideas to share and to put in place. Um, The first year I didn't really know what was going to happen, but one of the instructors brought this incredible array of mushroom samples, 
um, to put, and it's, the samples take up about three tables, and she IDs them all and puts them on paper plates and writes the scientific and the common names and, and divides them into categories. So even if the mushrooms aren't, if you don't see them out in the field, which, of course, we have lots of mushroom walks, too, um, you can also see them on the table, which is really fun. Oh, yes. Oh, so bring bring them to you. One of the things about mushrooms is that there are a lot more mushrooms than plants. Yes. That is true. People often say to me, I'm sure they say to you, oh, you know so much about plants. And I've studied mushrooms since day one, but not only is there so much more to know about mushrooms, but the nomenclature around mushrooms has changed dramatically since when I first studied them in the 70s, 50 years ago. Yes, and it's really a pioneer um, in the science world. There's a lot of pioneering um, that's happening, and the statistics I've heard, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if we actually know the exact number, but it, a lot of people that I've met in the that are working in the science world with mushrooms say that 95% of mushrooms haven't yet been identified. So, right. I mean, amazing. <laughs> and you know, you know that mushroom books will say things like that mushroom is an LBM, little brown mushroom, and that mm-hmm. it's going to be very challenging to identify that little tiny brown mushroom. You know? <laughs> so, but there are, you know, one of the things that's been really fun for me because I, I definitely um, was in the camp of of slowly warming up to mushrooms historically and this whole path that I've taken with the the Mycelium Mysteries Conference and also, you know, I had some real serious health problems at that same time when I started that conference and I started incorporating mushrooms into my um, life, both in my diet and my apothecary uh, more than I ever had and it's it's become a major part of my um, path and my daily life. And one of the things I talk to people about who are really nervous about them is it's really a matter, like plants, of paying attention to detail and really, really honing in on the detail of what you're looking at. And, of course, not putting anything in your mouth that you don't know, (laughs) that you can't absolutely know positively identify because, you know, people are nervous. And don't go out only to look for food. I mean, I sometimes go out and look at mushrooms just to look at them or just to photograph them or just to sit with them because they are so fascinating. So utterly otherworldly and fascinating. I mean, the colors and the textures and... You know, it's it's and the symbiotic nature of them, that is one thing that really captured my attention a very long time ago. Um I was gonna, how, was gonna invite you to talk a little bit about mycelium on the off chance that there's listeners who when we're talking about mycelium mysteries 
don't quite get how that has to do with mushrooms. Right. <laughs> so mycelium is basically you can think of it as the root system of the mushrooms, and the uh, when we when we say mushroom. We're usually thinking of what is the fruiting body of the mushroom, what pops up out of the ground or on a tree. Um, but underneath is what you could call the root system of the mushrooms, and so that is the mycelium. And mycelium either um, occupies, a, a, it can occupy a, a log, it can occupy, um, you know, the ground. And, and that's one of the things you look for when you're looking at the fruiting bodies is, is this mushroom on the log? Is it on the ground? And um, so the mycelium is its root system. And the fruiting bodies only come up, like we were talking about a little bit ago, when the conditions are, correct, are right, you know, when there's enough moisture and enough, um, you know, symbiotic um, partners, so to speak, <laughs> in the environment. So that is um, my understanding of mycelium. And with the conference, it's a little bit of a play on, a, on words because it's Mycelium Mysteries, a women's mushroom conference. And when I thought about that, I thought that's how women share stories and networking and information is through a mycelial-like networking system. <clears throat> and so um, that was how the name of the conference came to be. Mm, wonderful. So the mycelium is the part that lives there and seen by us and continues on for long periods of time, my um, mycelium network can be very old, yes? It can be very old and it can be very large. I don't remember how large um, it is, but the, there is a large mycelial network in Oregon that's, I believe, thousands of acres large. And that... Um, is a honey mushroom that is um, connected to that mycelial network. So it's just really fascinating how large and how long, yes, mushrooms can be there for a long time, well, the mycelium. And, um, yeah, it's just an incredible network of um, – there's also this uh, – the um, basically – let me think of how to, how to describe it. There's something called FIFA which is basically the uh, tendrils of the mycelium that communicates, that senses what's happening in the environment. Um, one of the things that I read years ago and that just blew my mind is that when mycelium senses that other plants or trees in the ecosystem are struggling and need help, mushrooms actually are chemists and they produce chemicals um, to send out to the plants and the trees to help them heal if they need it. And it, these aren't chemicals that they have in their bodies. They actually produce them to support the other members of their community. I very so much they, heard that from the mycelium in the part of the woods that I went to. I went to an area where there's a lot of springs, 
just to see, you know, were all these dried up, what's going on there. And they weren't bubbling, but the, but the ground was damp. And it was very much barefoot there that I could hear the mycelium. And the mycelium saying, we're, t- we're helping. Yeah, and I've had a similar experience on my land here, and is that I got this real loud message that the mycelium was disrupted and needed to be encouraged to connect with what's around us. And so the sense that I got was that mycelium at one time was everywhere and it just stretched up, you know, as far as you could imagine and that every space had that because if you think about it, like conventional agriculture, well, even organic agriculture that is going to be tilling soil is disturbing all of that. And it used to be, you know, that when that wasn't disturbed, there would be lots of mycelium there. And so that the sense that I was getting from my land is in, to encourage, um, you know, my, my mushrooms and, of course, mycelium. And so I've been doing that. And, of course, I've been specifically planted some mushrooms and, you know, put mushroom spores down and encourage them. And then lots mm-hmm. of other ones show up because... <laughs> they know it's a friendly place, right? Because <laughs> then you have the right microbes and, you know, the soils conducive and, you know, and things start to happen. Mm. So if someone is listening, a woman is listening and thinking, well, I don't know, a, a whole conference about mushrooms? Really, could that, like, keep my interest? I believe that Suzanne Simard is going to be there. She is, and she is the author of Finding the Mother Tree, and she, which was a New York Times bestseller. Um, and she, we actually visited with her um, uh, through virtually in, in our spring conference, and now she's coming in person for this event. And she has done groundbreaking work on how the trees communicate with the environment, including communicating with the mycelium and mushrooms. So she's offering a keynote address um, talking about her groundbreaking work, also talking about and encouraging young women to go into the sciences and to, you know, be involved in, uh, well, either citizen science or you know, academic science, both and. And also she's going to do a pre-conference workshop on how to um, utilize what nature does uh, in its community as a way for us to look at our communities and organizations and how we might mimic nature and how we relate to each other. And so I'm super excited about that. And that's why my silly mystery That's a topic very close to your heart, yeah. Social. Yeah. Yeah. Very close Mm. to my heart. Very, very much. I mean, that was one thing when um, I uh, stepped away from formal social work that I was doing, because that's what my academic training is in. And people ask me all the time, when you know, what do you do with your social work degree? And I'm like, well, I utilize it all the time (laughs) when you're working with people. You you know. You create. These are big conferences. 
there were over 400 women at the herbal conference this spring. Yeah. About how many women come to Mycelium Mysteries? So we've been uh, trending at about 200 women at Mycelium Mysteries. We don't have a kids and a teen camp. So it tends to be a retreat for women, which is really nice. And so it's a little bit quieter, a little bit more low-key, and it gives us that opportunity to really listen, listen to each other, listen to the mushrooms, and listen to what's happening in the environment in the fall because, you know, it's so interesting to see all the different things that are happening and and how we can connect and relate to the natural world. Um, when we're just a little quieter because, of course, the herbal conference is with that many women. It's very loud and there's a lot happening, which is wonderful. Um, True. But they have different energies. I bet they have the same good food, though. Oh, they do, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Except we eat, a lot, we eat a lot more mushrooms at the mushroom conference. <laughs> Surprise. So, um, <laughs> so that's a wonderful thing and you know every year I get introduced to a new mushroom I didn't know you could eat so that's wow that's really fun. yeah tell us, tell us again the date and give in give women the information in case while we're talking they want to go and register for mycelium mysteries there's still room right yeah there is and it's myceliummysteries.com is where they can find out about it and the dates are the 24th, 25th, and 26th of September, and it's held in Almond, Wisconsin, so central Wisconsin, about two hours north of Madison, on a camp where there are 200 acres. So there's plenty of uh, places to explore and to look for um, the funga, as um, our friend Juliana Ferky calls it. And, um, yeah, and then on the 23rd, we have a couple pre-conference events. We have all-day forays where you can go into the woods with um, a knowledgeable person and spend six hours in the woods looking at mushrooms and learning about them. And then there's also a medicine-making workshop because that is certainly something people are very interested in is making medicine. And the focus of that is going to be on... Um, reishi mushroom and how to make medicine for your apothecary with reishi organoderma, which is the queen of mushrooms. She is indeed. And so safe. You're not going to be mistaking some poisonous thing for reishi. Reishi is reishi is reishi. Yes. It's, it's, yes, once you see it, you know it. <laughs> it's very clear. I found a stack of reishi mushrooms recently, and you know people often recommend you do spore prints to look at the color of the spores to help you identify the mushroom. And these reishi mushrooms were on a log, and they were growing on top of each other, and they had spores on the next cap below, and so I was like, well, you don't have to do a spore print because the nature, they're out here just doing it for you. <laughs> and it, it is, you know, reishi, some form, Ganoderma is the, you know, scientific name for reishi, and it grows all over the world, different species. And we do here in the Midwest have a species that grows here. And so we can harvest our own reishi mushroom and 
it's, you know, such a wonderful, you know, they call it the mushroom of immortality, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, um, Geno, Genoderma know, means shining skin. And that is a clue to what it looks like, right? Right, and that is like one of the best ways to identify Rishi because it looks like it's just rained on it. It really is shiny. Or you could also say it looks like somebody woke up and shellacked it. <laughs> it's that shiny. It really is. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, that just, it almost looks fake. You know, like a decoration or something. Right. And of course, it is. It is a decoration. It's very hard, though, when you make medicine with it. It's uh, it's a very hard mushroom, so um, pulling it apart and getting it to extract is something that mm-hmm. one of our instructors, Gina Contla-Rivers, who's a mycologist and an herbalist, she's going to be teaching that program, and she has all kinds of tricks and tips for harvesting, uh-huh. for identifying, for making medicine. And so she wanted to do an all-day workshop just on that mushroom. And it was funny because she and I were talking about it, and I said, gosh, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize that a whole day is probably isn't even enough. <laughs> I love it. So much about that mushroom and, you know, developing a relationship with it too and, um, you know, getting to know it really well. So, and getting to know the stories of the myths. She said that um, when I talked to her, that it, it has been documented. The first documented use of reishi mushroom was 2,000 years ago. That it was actually documented, and I thought that was really fascinating. Well, when I was at a a big conference for the man who was promoting the paleo diet was talking and they allowed the audience to ask questions and I challenged him. I said, you know, you've left out some things that I think were real mainstays of our paleolithic ancestors, which is mushrooms, seaweeds, and insects. Mm. And I think that... And he wasn't- that the, what as you see, the mushrooms, once you get into them, and you know what's local to where you are, there's a lot of choices. Oh, so many choices. I mean, now that it has rained and we've gotten some moisture, I have harvested at least eight different varieties of mushrooms to either dry or put up in some way. I harvested some chanterelle mushrooms and put them in butter and then froze these little jars of chanterelle butter. Um, There's just so many different mushrooms and so many things you can do with them once you really start to bring them into your world and into your diet. You said that you had run into a health challenge and that you used mushrooms. Did you feel that that was successful, that the mushrooms helped you? It was absolutely successful. Um, and, you, well, I guess I should say, I I always say this with some caveat because, you know, there's always a lot of different factors, right, when we're dealing with health challenges. So I always feel hesitant um, to act like um, anything's going to rescue anyone. So I want to say that first. Um, but... I, uh, yes, I actually had cancer on my tongue, 
and it was growing very quickly, so I had surgery to have the growth removed. And it was recommended that I pursue radiation treatments, and I decided not to do that because of the side effects. And so I very heavily started incorporating mushrooms in decoction form, in tincture form, in food form, into my diet and into my medicine, and really just inundated my body with as many different mushrooms as I possibly could. I coined the um, the phrase that I say to everyone is eat a mushroom with every meal, and <laughs> that seems to have been helpful. And, you know, that was seven going on seven years ago now, and I have not had any reoccurrence. Um, or any indication of metastasis or anything. So it seems to have been successful for me. I know that, um, you know, everybody's different and everybody's choices are different. And if something, if I did have metastasis, I would enlist, I, I still enlist mushrooms, of course, as a, you know, just as a nourisher to keep my body strong and healthy, but I would, you know, never hesitate to bring them in um, for medicine. Similarly, I found that, to me, using mushrooms was really key in my um, dealing with the, the adversary cancer and that the doctors were quite amazed that although I had cancer in a lymph node, no other lymph node, even those touching that one, was affected, and certainly no metastasis or different spread, distant spread. And like you, mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, food mushrooms, as mushroom, mushrooms. We talked about stuffed mushrooms. I was stuffed with mushrooms. Morning, noon, and night, yes, don't eat a meal unless there's some mushrooms with it. And even now, you know, but again, I'm totally clear, and there's nothing to think that I will ever have to dance with cancer again. But somebody sent me a jar of powdered uh, lion's mane. Well, I'm happy with a little lion's mane. I have a little um, stick from a fruit pop which is just the right amount, you know. It's like about a quarter of a teaspoon of lion's mane powder that I get. It's so tasteless. I can just put it on any food I'm eating, and it's supposed to make me mentally sharper. Well, why not, right? Absolutely. And they're fun They're fun to take, and they're, you know, as medicine, but they're also really fun to cook with. So, I, um, you know, I, I love ingesting them in every form. So, I, um, yeah, it's really fun. And as far as bringing them in for cancer, I mean, if you look at um, China and Japan, what, the research that I've done is that conventional physicians prescribe mushrooms right alongside with conventional treatment. And there's no separation. It's like, okay, you're doing radiation and chemotherapy and mushroom, and here are mushrooms too. And so it's so interesting to me that our National Institute of Health, I found information on their website about research that's being done for cancer on cancer and mushrooms here in the States. And, you know, I none of my doctors talk to me about mushrooms and health. 
And so I really like to encourage people to do a lot of research and learn about that, um, you know, even before you might, if you, if you have a health problem, but also um, if you're trying to, you know, um, keep your body strong and healthy. Well, you know, it's interesting. As herbalists, we're perfectly willing to mushrooms as herbal medicine. It's not a stretch for us. And yet they fly under that radar where the doctors say, don't use any herbs. And you go, oh, fine, I'm just using mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> right, because they're just food, right? <laughs> oh, I had a really funny interaction recently with a dermatologist. I had a... Um, Actually, I had a little growth on my nose that I had removed, and um, she told me not to utilize any botanicals on my nose, and she suggested that I use petroleum jelly. And I looked at her and said, we do know that petroleum jelly is or fo- is fossilized botanicals, do you? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I actually had no idea how to respond to that, but... Don't use any botanicals. Like she even knows what she's talking about. Well, she doesn't because she was suggesting botanicals without even like being cognizant of it. It was it was very interesting. So I, um, I, I that flew out of my mouth. I was I was laughing because sometimes with those things I walk away and say I wish I had said that, but I actually said it. So but you actually did. You know, perhaps it's a measure of our success. That 30 years ago, doctors didn't tell people not to use botanicals. That's true. They did not. It wasn't even on their radar screen, right? I mean, It wasn't even on their radar. And now, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, don't use any herbs. Oh, don't use botanicals. And, uh, of course, you know, my response to that is, oh, do you mean I shouldn't eat parsley or garlic? Right. I know. Both I of which are very, very, very powerful herbs. So let's see. If I went to mycelium mysteries, there would be things beforehand that I could do specialized workshops, or I could just come and not only go to workshops and not only eat really good food, but be there with lots of interesting women. And if you haven't been to a women's herbal conference or a women's mushroom conference, I want to somehow share with you how amazing it is to be there with women who are interested in what you're interested in, even if you don't like any of the workshops. Even, in fact, if you decide once you're there that you're not even interested in mushrooms, you'll still be happy to be there being fed this fabulous food and to meet the women who are there, the attendees, as well as the people who are presenting. Do you think that's fair for me to say? Absolutely. I mean, before I actually ran a a conference myself, I was a regular attendee at a conference um, on the West Coast called the Women of Wisdom Conference. I always say, I think that conference mentored me. Um, And so I went to that conference for 10 years, and it was the in-between spaces that were so magical, the conversations that I would have with women, the little insights that women would offer, 
Um, there's in between, there's dinner conversations, there's, you know, dancing together or um, taking a walk and just so many different things and just hearing a woman's lives and women's stories. And I hear that at our conferences as well, that those in-between places are just invaluable. Um, the times around the fire, because, you know, we do have fire circles and singing and, um, you know, that's not everybody's uh cup of tea, but for people who are, it's really wonderful, and we also have a tea house where people can go at the mushroom conference. We're going to have a mushroom beverage um, tea house where we're going to serve uh, mushrooms. (laughs) I'm excited about that. And, you know, Susan, when people say, you know, I've had people say to me, well, I don't like mushrooms. And I always say, wait a minute, let's tease this out. What do you mean by that? And a lot of times it it means that people ate really slimy canned mushrooms when they were a little child and they didn't like them. And so when we look at the mushroom conference and all the things that mushrooms bring, I mean, there's... Um, mushrooms, we, we often will have workshops and talk about mushrooms for cleaning up the em- environment, which is called micro-remediation. And mushrooms have the capacity to clean up contamination from soil and from water. And so mushrooms have so many other possibilities. Mushrooms, last year we had a mushroom dyeing workshop for dyeing um, fabrics, you know, with mushrooms for their color. And this year, a woman's um, actually offering a workshop on mushrooms for making paint. And so mushrooms have so much capacity, not only um, for eating them, but for being with them, for connecting with them, for incorporating them in in all these different ways. So I would encourage people to um, learn more, whether they come to the conference or they go out in the world and start getting curious about mushrooms. And that's myceliummysteries.com where they can go and find out more and register if they want to. Yes, they can find out more. They can register. And, Susan, we have a women's classroom on our website where you can actually, if if you're not nearby and you're, you're curious about this topic, we have audio and video recordings from past conferences where you can learn more about mushrooms as well. So those are very oh my gosh. Yes. So if you go to myceliummysteries.com, even if you can't even imagine like going to the conference because of kids or work or whatever, at your leisure, right, as if any woman ever has leisure, you can nonetheless go to past mycelium mystery workshops. Yeah. And, you know, we actually held all of our conferences for two years through the virtual space. And so we have a whole array of workshops that we did online that are video recorded. And it was really successful um, teaching about identification characteristics, teaching how to garden with mushrooms, because you can bring mushrooms into your garden. And so we really... um, we're excited that we were able to bring that and that we still have those workshops available. And this year's workshops will be available um, through audio recordings after the event as well. 
Yay, hey, hooray. Mm. I also want to say that it's a very gentle and caring space where these conferences are. You know, sometimes going out to a camp, it can be a little, like, edgy institutional. Mm. You know, I think, like, the the high point, perhaps we could truthfully call it the low point, at one camp was when they served us peanut butter hummus. Oh, that's very interesting. (laughs) Because that was their tempted knew that we wanted health food, so they decided to serve us peanut butter hummus. We're like, oh, thank you for trying. That was really wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, Susan, this is interesting because, you know, we're going into our 12th year for Herbal Conference, and the first couple of years we had the facility prepare our food. And I am a uh, local vore through and through. I love the food that grows around me. I love fresh food. I love flavors. I I'm a chef, a cook. I, I just, I love food and I love nourishment. It's like nourishment, deep nourishment helps us learn. It helps us be present. And so my greatest desire was to find someone to cook for us. And so about three or four years into the conference, I, um, was, I came across Danny Lind who uh, cooks for us now. And she was willing to come and cook for us. She was willing to co-create the menu so it would be nutrient-dense and so that women could be present and learn. And we use a lot of um, energy when we're learning. And so having nourishment while we're learning helps us take the information in more fully and helps us be more present and feel cared for. And so that is very intentional um, from a food perspective. I mean, there's a lot of things that are very intentional at our events, but that is something that I um, feel really strongly about. Me too. And I love that, you know, we can actually have 425 women on site and be able to serve deeply nourishing food and nourishing herbal infusions um, throughout the whole entire weekend. Um, you know, and we, although we the sure. food is not all local, there's a lot of local pieces to it. Yes, of course there there are other pieces, but a lot of the food is sourced, either sourced locally or at least sourced um, through local producers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we serve sauerkraut with every meal. We have bone broth. Um, actually, Danny, the chef, brings her own bones from her own animals. <laughs> you know. So, and I do remember some really delicious sour cream, too. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. The cultured cream, yes. And at the mushroom conference, we, um, you know, uh, secure, uh, secure the mushrooms from local producers. Uh, we do bring in some wild forage mushrooms, but as many as we need to have for the meals, we are um, getting them from producers locally. Right, and right, right, right. So, you really can't ship mushrooms from far away. That's another beautiful thing. And that's another great thing about mushrooms, right? They need to be very local. <laughs> Unless they're dried. Yes. Because, yeah. of course, I always tell people their uh, whole trajectory is to rot. 
And so there was a woman last year at our at the, my Philly mystery. She wrote this beautiful song, and it was called "Let It Rot." And oh yes. She, the whole song was all about how important it is to let things rot and let things fade away and be regenerative. And it was really um, so striking because that is the energy and the nature of this event is the acknowledgement that life um, is, you know, you know, death and birth and, you know, and so one of the other things that's happening this year that I'm super excited about is our ceremonial um, director is going to be telling the story of Anana um, going into the underworld through the whole weekend. So that's wow! Happen. Oh my gosh! Yes. So. Inanna. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So mm. I think we're in for a very deep, um, a, a deep dive. Deep dive down into the mycelium, which is always linking and joining and making sure that things are cooperating and listening to each other. Yes. And, you know, that's how I'm always so grateful that my introduction to herbalism had that tone to it because it certainly has led me, you know, here so many years later from the beginning of my path, it's led me down this road. And and having that intersection with my work with the, with social work and, you know, having that um, sensibility and then the plants and then the mushrooms, and it's just all really um, so serendipitous and um, just love um, how it supports the containers that we step into in these spaces. MycelliumMysteries.com to get lots more. And although I would love lots more, we are nearing the TikTok end of our time together, once again reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and certainly Celial mysteries is ancient, ancient mysteries. And restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And also, way back in 1976, I went to the first goddess conference called Through the Looking Glass. And there I vowed to help people remember that working with the plants and working with the mushrooms and being out in nature is what women's spirituality rises up from. It's not like the goddess is this idea that's put from the top down over it. When we are reweaving the healing cloak and when we're restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place, we are also reweaving ourselves and restoring ourselves to our rightful place. Thank you, Linda, so much for all that you do for all of us. I appreciate you and love you. Same to you, Susan. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for having me. I love you as well. And we love you, Sarah Ellen. Thank you.
Thank you so much for joining me in all of these adventures. And thank you, listeners, as well. Good night and green blessings. Good night.